You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, 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 yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett and today we're going to go down another path that you need to be aware of in dentistry. It's called street drugs and dentistry. And I brought back one of my favorite guests of all time, Thomas Viola. This guy is brilliant. He is awesomely entertaining and he's crazy helpful. So we shot a podcast on something you need to be aware of as a dentist, because this is a changing landscape. So hope you guys enjoy the episode and we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. I'm so pumped you're here because the cool thing about my job in this podcast is I get to hang out around with some of the coolest people in all of dentistry, and you're going to see that today with one of the premier experts on a lot of things, Viola, Tom, Viola, and today we're going to be talking about an important subject. It's a really important subject, probably in everyone's community, and it's called street drugs. Now, the dental community is an important part of this world and one of the most trusted healthcare professionals out there. And it's really important that we're educated about all this. So, Tom, thanks for being on, brother. I appreciate you. Kirk, thanks for having me. This is a pleasure. You know that. I love hanging with you. I love making these podcasts. I love talking to people. I love people coming up to me when they see me in person saying, hey, I heard you on that podcast with Kirk. It's just, it's a, it's a great feeling. So thank you for the opportunity. Hey, selfishly, I'll just, I'll thank you over and over again, because I told you, I love this podcast thing. I'm bringing you on this journey, whether you like it or not. Every time he got him on, he's like, you again? I go, yes, me again. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, as always, brother, I want to start here because I love it. Uh, I love for our listeners to know who we're listening to. So uh, give us a little rundown. Who's Tom Viola? What do you do? Who are you, brother? Tom Viola in a nutshell. So I started out as a pharmacist and I'm still a pharmacist, still licensed in a, uh, several states. Uh, but uh, after about 10 years of practice, decided to specialize as a pharmacologist. And dentistry was really the, the unknown territory for me. I had no idea what dentists and hygienists did, but I did know that uh, pharmacology was a big part of what they do every day in practice because knowing the patient and knowing the patient's medicines and knowing the patient's medical history was so important. Uh, pharmacology is like the Rosetta Stone, right? You, if you know a patient's 
medications, you know everything about them. So all you need to have is a list of medications and a working knowledge of pharmacology, and you've got everything you need to fill in that uh, medical history with everything that's important uh, for today and, and for the future uh, as far as you're treating that patient. So it's building treatment plans, it's building a rapport, but it's treating the patient as safely as possible. So I got started, gosh, I started 2001 uh, lecturing, and I'm still do, I'm still at it now. And I do this every day for a living, and still something every day surprises me. Something every day changes in dentistry and dental pharmacology. So that's why I keep doing what I'm doing, brother, just because I enjoy it, and I enjoy people like you. I enjoy the audience. They're, they're a great bunch. I, I will say, just as a, a side note, my greatest respect for dentists and hygienists and dental assistants as well is I don't know how it is you all do what you do and yet keep all of what is I know in your head as well. How do you know all about dentistry and all about pharmacology and keep it all together? I'm good at this maybe because this is all I do. But if you handed me a dental instrument, I'd be completely lost. So my hat's off to everybody who's listening because you wear many hats and you wear them well. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, you guys are going to see this. I love Viola. Number one, he's a good guy, really good guy. He's an excellent educator. He also makes it funny. Now, today's not going to be really that much. There's not going to be a ton of humor in this, but I will tell you from an education standpoint, he's the best when it comes to pharmacology. The other Thanks. thing I could say this, and maybe you can piggyback on this, why we're talking about this subject. The, the subject of pharmacology is a moving target. It is constantly moving and it's growing. So as a dentist, it's one of those things where you can, you can't say, oh, I learned about that back when. It is moving, it is growing, and the list of medications patients put when they do put them all on there on yes, the health sir. history form is getting longer and longer. So I think it's really important as you can, as you should, constantly educate yourself about this subject. Would you agree? Absolutely. 25 years ago, when I first got started in dental pharmacology, when I first designed that form that people were to fill out for their medical history, I left spaces for people to write in the names of the medications. I left five spaces, Kirk, and most people filled in three. Mm. So can you imagine 25 years ago, people took three medications. Now if they have cardiovascular disease. That's three drugs just by itself. Yeah. Then you add on GI, respiratory, diabetes, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's not uncommon now for patients on average, from what I've seen, just working in my students, eight to 10 meds, eight yeah. to 10 medications, plus the over-the-counter drugs, the dietary supplements. It's, it's an incredible long list of things. That, and with every new drug comes new complexity for right. dentistry, which is, you know, which is why we do what we do. Yeah. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, it, it, like go in a crazy direction, but stay with me, Tom, because when you yeah. said eight to 10, like... Uh, I don't do any hard drugs. I can fully like admit that. And I do enjoy the wine though. And there's gotta be a little omission on some of these, like, I, and you guys, if you're listening, just stay with me. So when my doctor has me fill out, how many drinks do you have in a week? Do you have two in a week, three in a week? I'm like, eh, I'm probably four. You know, I'm not going to tell him I'm probably eight or nine in a week, right? I'm going to probably cut it in half and then maybe a half again, just cause I don't, I don't want to fully, is there a little bit of that when it comes to pharmacology and patients admitting, I mean, do they omit a lot of stuff? Am I saying that right? They definitely do. A course that I used to teach that I've since morphed into this medical history mystery course that I do now, it was entitled errors and omissions in, in your medical history. 
patients either give you the wrong information or don't want to tell you everything about them. And there's numerous reasons why. But yeah, sometimes it's also, I'll tell you, but I won't tell you the extent to which. So for example, alcohol, good one. Tobacco, another good one. Marijuana, another good one. Do you use marijuana? Occasionally, but what is your definition of occasionally, right? Right. And and lately, though, it's this topic of street drugs. What Mm -hmm. really is not a street drug anymore I would say there are substances of abuse that are in the fringes. They're not mainstream drugs, but they're becoming more mainstream and more and more people are being exposed to them. So do you as a dental professional know everything you need to know about that substance to be able to to treatment plan around it? Were you taught about it in school? Where would you get an education on a quote unquote street drug or a substance of abuse if you've never even heard of it before? Right. So let's start there. Go back to that. Let's start with the why and the what. what. What is a street drug and why is this such an important topic? So everybody, in my opinion, who knows about what we call street drugs knows the, the mantra here, which is what's old is new again and what's new is also new again. Uh, and that is there are some drugs that just never disappear. And if I had to say to an average dental professional, give me an example of a street drug, I think some people would say heroin. Some people might say cocaine or methamphetamine. But when you think about it, Kirk, those drugs have been around for some 20 to 30 years. And at the same time, the heroin that I saw people doing on the streets of New York City when I lived there so many years ago, that heroin is nothing like the heroin that's available today. You know, that potency back then may have been somewhere around 8 to 10%. Now the potency of heroin that's available on the street is up upwards of 80 to 90%. So it's the same drug, but everybody wants more. They want more out of it. They want more feeling. They want more effect. And then beyond those, what we call, I guess, mainstream, if you will, street drugs or substance abuse are the more exotic ones. And the one that's affecting a lot of communities right now uh, is a drug called xylazine, which is really known on the street, if you will, as Trank, because it's a tranquilizer. Uh, but it's mixed with so many other drugs, heroin and fentanyl especially. And the problem is it's so, uh, it's so popular, it's so attractive that it gets mixed into the quote-unquote drug supply, even though you didn't ask for it, you get it anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, the xylozine, tell us, tell us, you know, you before we hit the go button, you said this is one of the biggest problems out there. Right. Yeah, and um, give us a little perspective on that. Now, I live in the city of Milwaukee. Fentanyl is a very big problem here. It's it's a big problem, and a lot of the first-time deaths, or a lot of the deaths that you hear about, they're first-time users. They had no idea of the perspective. Put this in some perspective for us, like on xylazine and fentanyl and some of these other challenging you know, things that we see. So people ask me this all the time, why is it this drug fentanyl? Why is it so popular? Why is it this, every time I hear anybody talking about drugs, it's fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl. The answer is micrograms. That's the best way I can describe it. Fentanyl is so super potent, you only need micrograms of the drug. Now that's, you know, less than a milligram, okay? A microgram of, a, of this drug to get some feeling. So number one, that means what? It's easy to conceal because you only need a very little bit, right? It's easy to transport because again, you only need a little bit. So it's not like you've got this big package of hashish or this big package of cannabis you're trying to carry around. 
you can carry this in a tiny, tiny little bag in your pocket without anybody really noticing, okay? So small amount of drug yields big return, okay? So fentanyl will always reign supreme right now because it has this super potency. A little goes a very long way. However, as you know, with all opioids, resistance develops, right? So the more opioid you take, as I like to say, the more opioid you need to take. And it's going to be the same thing with fentanyl. You build up a resistance to the effects of fentanyl. So now the user who's already built up a resistance to what they would consider to be their usual dose of fentanyl wants something else. They 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 want to mix it up. They want to try a different drug. They want a different feeling. And that's how this drug, xylazine, became so popular. Xylazine, again, uh, very potent. You don't need much of it. It started out as a veterinary analgesic. I mean, it was in veterinary medicine. It was never really approved for human use. But because it's veterinary, first of all, we don't know what's a safe dose. I mean, I guess we could probably have a pharmacologist figure that out for us. But the problem is it's, it's not legal. Uh, it's being used in an illicit fashion. And it's being mixed into the drug supply with fentanyl because it increases the effects of fentanyl, but also adds an effect that fentanyl doesn't give you. So uh, lots of large cities have tested their quote unquote drug supply. They buy samples on the street, they go back to a lab and they test it. What do they find? Almost every case they find xylazine is also included with fentanyl. Xylazine is a tranquilizer. So what does it do? It puts you into a, a stupor basically. You're completely tranquilized. So your your fentanyl dose has worn off, but instead of you at that moment craving more fentanyl, the tranquilizer has kicked in. Xylazine has kicked in. And so you're just sort of sitting there, hanging there in this sort of oblivion. And you're so completely tranquilized that number one, you don't really have much a good idea what's happening around you. Number two, you can easily become a victim. A predator could easily take advantage of you. And and number three, when you do finally, quote unquote, come to, well, now you're desperate for more fentanyl because you've been, you know, even though you've been under the influence of the tranquilizer xylazine for all this time, your craving for fentanyl has become a tidal wave. So now you want more fentanyl and you're going to get more fentanyl with more xylazine in it. And so this becomes very cyclical where you can spend days under the influence of fentanyl mixed with xylazine. And, and you know what happens then, you know, you don't take care of yourself, you, you, you fall into disrepair, uh, you, you know, you lose touch with your family and your friends, you lose, you lose everything. You basically, your life becomes empty because you're constantly under the influence of this drug. Yeah. This is just a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I, and again, I can't say enough about this. Like our learning is We've just got to be always learning about this so we can stay educated. So speak to this. If I'm a 32-year-old dentist listening to this podcast, I'm like, hey, I'm in Indiana. Like, Tom, why is this important to me as a dentist? Like, what does this have to do with dentistry in any respect? What do you usually say when people ask you those questions? I get this all the time, and it's a very good question. Hey, Tom, I work in a pretty nice neighborhood. I don't have people, you know, that are are strung out on drugs, you know, lying on the street or in shelters around me. You know, most of my clientele are middle class or upper middle class. You know, they're not going to be the type to use uh, fentanyl and xylazine. And that's the problem, Kirk. The problem is people who are, you know, not in the, the mode of staying under the influence of a drug all the time will use smaller doses and will use enough 
so that they can still function, but still use at the same time. So you don't get to the point where you're under the influence of this combination of two drugs for days at a time, but maybe for several hours. Now, you might say, well, why would anybody who's you know not really into staying under the influence of drugs forever, why would that person even attempt to use this drug? Well, number one, because of the appeal, and number two, because it is a way of escaping. It's escapism, right? Just like everything else, so many other things we do to escape, like video games and, and using uh, alcohol and using cannabis. It's the same thing here. I'm using these drugs to sort of escape my own reality. But what if I didn't sign on for this drug, xylazine? You know, what if I just signed on for fentanyl? Because my friend told me it's really awesome and I could, you know, get a nice quick buzz and I'll be right back to it in no time. But I didn't know the stuff I bought has xylazine in it. And now... I can't function. I can't drive home. I don't know where I am. I, I can't do. I can't do my job, and so it has impacts economically. But it also has an impact now because let's say I've managed to navigate that that tidal wave and I'm able to keep it under control and say, okay, you know, I can still function. I can still go to work every day. I can still use the fentanyl stuff, even though it's mixed with this stuff. Trank. I can do it all. At some point, I need to see a dentist, right? Yeah. At some point, I need to see my hygienist, and you may not suspect that this person using fentanyl with, with this drug xylazine in it. You might just think this person doesn't do any drugs at all because they don't mention it in their medical history. They don't, quote unquote, look like someone that uses fentanyl with xylazine mixed in it. But what if they need uh, anesthesia? What if they need sedation, you know, conscious mm -hmm. sedation? Now, even though they haven't mentioned it on their medical history, they never mentioned to you, it, it doesn't even come up in conversation. Now that becomes life-threatening because right. the drugs that we use for sedation, some of the drugs that we use as anxiolytics, even nitrous oxide, can increase the potency of these drugs, fentanyl and xylazine, dramatically. Now you might say, well, who would be you know, nuts enough to use the fentanyl and xylazine before they go to see the dentist? And that's when I always say, what's one of the most stressful places a patient can find themselves? Right. In your dental chair. So in that case, why wouldn't they use the fentanyl and xylazine in advance of their dental appointments to sort of escape the, what they consider to be the pain that they're going to experience in the chair? Yeah. And so that's where the medical industry and the medical emergency comes from. Yeah. One of the things I love about you is that you not only educate us, but you give us the skills to navigate through this. And so... Um, heck, let me ask you this question. Most dentists are afraid to just talk about treatment that dentists need. I mean, if you remember, you know, uh, a long time ago as, as patient, you know, as you're a dentist, you learn sometimes too much about a patient. You know, mm -hmm. you have these young women that come in and you think they might be suffering from bulimia and things like that. And then you have to, as a dentist, as you age and mature, you find a way somehow because you care about these people to introduce into conversation. So here's my real question. Tom, what if I know some of this stuff, but it's this, how do I even begin to communicate about this stuff or ask questions about this stuff? Number one, it's way, it's a little bit too much for me to even handle emotionally as a, as a dentist or a dental provider, but how would I even begin the conversation? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I've tried so many different ways whenever I've been involved in direct patient interaction with students. I've tried so many different ways to, to broach the subject. And what I've found, Kirk, at least what works for me, maybe because it's my demeanor, maybe because it's my Brooklyn accent, I don't know. I just decided the easiest way to do it was to be flat out honest and just ask point blank. 
but in nicest voice and with the biggest smile on my face, I say, have you had or do you currently have an issue with uh, a, a substance abuse disorder? Yeah. Do you have an issue with substances? Can, can you say that you rely on a substance on a somewhat regular basis to get through your, your busy trying days? And just let it hang in the air like that. And it's, it's awkward and it's uncomfortable for the first five seconds. But then when the patient realizes you mean them no harm and that you're not going to be calling the police and that you just right. honestly need to know that information, that's when it comes out. Now, again, as you said, it may be ratcheted back a little bit. Like, you know, like you and I might talk about a glass of wine. Like, you know, how many glasses did you have? Well, I might say three. I might admit to three, but I probably had six. Right. It might just be that with, with using fentanyl and xylazine. Again, there's no cookie-cutter approach to this. Every patient's going to be different. Some patients might take offense. But always try to keep it as light as possible and keep it coming from the perspective of, look, we deal with thousands of patients. You know, We're not here to judge. We're just here to get all the information we can to keep this appointment safe for you. So we're not judging. We just need to know. And that's yeah. what I say over and over again. And when you say it like that and, when, and, you, and you, you just let it hang there and you don't say anything else, you just... just after you ask that, that question, do you currently have or have you had an issue with substances or a substance abuse disorder? Stop talking. Yeah. Let them talk. And they might say no. And then, so maybe you qualify a little bit and say, you know, what I mean is, do you use substances like, like a lot of people use, like cannabis or, you know, have you tried fentanyl? Maybe two or three times. If you get a no each time, then fine. Then I think you could say you've probably exhausted every, every effort. But I think when you ask a few times and you keep it light and you keep the smile on your face and you and come from that perspective of, look, just trying to get the information here, you know, it's not just you, it's, it's thousands of patients. Those people who really do use it would more than likely to admit to some part of using it. Now, the reason why I also say this is because a lot of people won't tell their medical doctor, their you know, physician's assistant, their nurse practitioner about these strange sores on their arm that have developed as a result of this drug xylazine. And that's the thing about xylazine. If you inject fentanyl that's, that's mixed with xylazine, you will get these sores on your arm that don't heal very well. And as a matter of fact, sometimes become gangrenous and sometimes lead to amputation. Mm. So I don't know what's going on, but I got these sores on my arm. They don't look really good. I may not tell that to anybody. But I might tell you, the dentist or the hygienist, because you're approachable. You're easy to talk to. You, right. Hey, you bothered enough to ask me, so here it is. Okay, are you ready for that answer? Yeah. What do you do then? Right. Yeah. So that's why you, have, you, you listen to podcasts like this. You come to courses like mine. So you can say, okay, well, here's what you got to do. First thing you got to do is get him to see a medical doctor. And again, it's, it's no, no stigma, right? Get right. him to see a medical doctor, get that wound addressed because it could, it could get bad quickly, right? And we don't want to get anybody getting amputations for, you know, for a reason of, well, we don't want to take a look at it. Get them to see, get them medical help and let them know that they're not the only ones. And that way, what you've, you've taken a situation that could be potentially deadly for that patient and literally saved their life. And you've heard me say that before, Kirk. Dentists, hygienists, assistants save people's lives every day. Yep. Because you save them from themselves. They don't make very in, well-informed or, or they don't make very well-thought-out decisions because they're not experts. That's where we come in. Yeah. So we've talked about xylazine and we have you know, talked about fentanyl. When it comes to the topic of street drugs, anything else we should be aware of or what you're seeing that will be important for dental professionals to know about? Stimulants. 
can't say it enough. Um, I know a lot of people really hang their hat on energy drinks and stuff like that. But I will tell you that ADHD medication still, or ADD medication still ranks up there as a stimulant that a lot of people use because, quite frankly, their insurance company pays for it. So I don't have to go out and buy methamphetamine, although it's cheap enough now. I don't have to go out there and, and buy cocaine. I can buy you know, Adderall or Vyvanse, you know, buy a prescription, right? My doc writes me the script, right? I go to the pharmacy, I get them filled, cost me virtually nothing, whatever my copay is. I come back to my room if I'm a student in school. I, you know, I come back to my house and, you know, maybe four out of the seven days that week, I take my Concerto, my Vyvanse or whatever the way I'm supposed to every day. But for the other three days, I crush the tablets up and I snort them. Now, nobody's going to know this, number one, because it came out of the same bottle. And if anybody were to do a drug test on me, what would they find? Well, I already admitted I take Concerto. So, right. so why would you look for anything else? You know, But I'm not using it the way I'm supposed to. I'm using it in a way that I wasn't supposed to, and yet it flies under the radar and nobody knows about it yeah. so stimulants scare me because of the access and it's the same thing with cannabis i'm, I'm leading somewhere with this and that is young people yeah. you know children have never had greater access to, to cannabis and stimulants than they have today in my day you know i'm a little older than you crook so my day was you know alcohol like my mom and dad would lock up the cabinet with the alcohol in it but now you know most homes have maybe perhaps somebody uses cannabis, even if it's for medical reasons, or maybe they have a child that uses medications like ADHD medications. The, the, the access is there. Yeah. So if you don't know to, to think about it, or ask about it, you won't, you, it won't even show up on your radar. So that's why you ask the question as generically as possible. Do you have any issue with substances? Do you have a substance abuse disorder? Now, what if they say, I don't know? Well, well, you know, once in a while I take, okay, go on the NIH.gov website, right. it's right on the front page, download the questionnaire, hand it to the patient and say, hey, fill this out. And just from their scores alone on that page, you can pretty much tell if, they're, if they may have an issue with substance use. And that will help you make some more informed decisions about what to do, again, with sedation, with, with uh, analgesics. You know, if I'm using fentanyl and, and this stuff, xylazine, and then I've had enough Done, that I need an opioid for my pain control. Wow, that's a lethal combination, adding an opioid to the fentanyl and the xylazine I'm already using. Well, unwittingly, the dentist may have created that cocktail because he or she prescribed it without knowing the patient was on these other two drugs. Yeah, And I, I will say the other thing that scares me a little bit besides stimulants is uh, the drugs that you don't know the patient's using. Um, so there are, there are drugs out there, like, for example, Suboxone. Suboxone is prescribed for patients who have an opioid addiction to prevent relapse. But Suboxone in high doses actually causes an opioid-like effect. So there are people out there that are addicted to Suboxone. The drug that they were using to treat the addiction has become the drug of the addiction. And, well, then somebody will find out, really? How will they find out? They're going to do a urine test and, and oh, it says Suboxone. Well, I'm supposed to be on Suboxone. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of hidden substance abuse that really makes it valuable for a dental professional who's listening right now to say, hmm, let me ask that question. How bad could it be? If I get a no, I get a no, but at least let me ask so that I cover myself and I protect my patient from themselves. Yeah. And would you agree, like this has been said a long time in, in dentistry, you don't have to know all this stuff, but the question 
is more often the answer. Like just by asking really good questions, you may not find out everything you need, but it's important to protect the patient yourself through a list of really good questions in this process. You know, you hear about sedation cases that go bad in certain offices and with the street drug thing growing and becoming more complex, it's dangerous. And, you know, you mentioned Adderall and some of those drugs. My kids share stories like they call Adderall the study drug, you know, like kids will take high doses of that so that they can get through finals time. And I'm like, my, my kids, I'm like, that's crazy. They're like, yep. People. So I think what we have to be equipped for or with more than anything is just a good list of questions and a process behind these questions, right? Absolutely. The, the greatest uh, and the best advice I've ever received was exactly that, you know, keep it short, but keep it meaningful. And the problem, of course, with, with uh, that is a lot of people who attend my lectures say, I love everything you said, Viola, but the problem is if I did everything your way, I'd need 15 minutes just for the medical history. I basically have three to four minutes to get all information down. I can't do everything you said. And I agree with them and say, okay, here's what you do. You just ask a few questions, but ask good ones. Mm-hmm. And, and a minute each, you know, and don't rely on asking questions to get all your information. Get the names of the medications. Anyone in your office can do that for you. They can make sure the patient has listed all the medications. So when you look at that list of medications, and you know when you've attended enough of my lectures to figure out, okay, this drug does this, this drug does that, even if you have to look it up, you're going to get a better sense for that patient than you would have if you didn't even pay attention. I got to tell you, Greg, between you, me, and the lamppost, and even though there's lots of people listening right now, I've gone to dentists, you know, for myself, you know, who never took my blood pressure, never took my pulse, never looked at my medical history, didn't know anything about me, and just got right to work, mm-hmm. and even some hygienists. So the point is, now is our chance to, to change things, to become more patient-centric, and realize that we're not just in the business of treating the mouth, we're in the business of treating the person who to which that mouth is attached and all that comes with it, including becoming more knowledgeable about everything they're putting in their bodies. Yeah. Tom, I just appreciate you so much. And again, I'm just going to reiterate, if you guys are listening, you got to go see Viola. He's just a great educator for you, your team, everybody just to be on the front end of what's happening. Uh, and so on this topic of street drugs, any last thoughts you have, Tom, just to kind of help us understand this? I think if I, people say to me, okay, Tom, you're me, what would you do? And as self-serving and as self-centered as, as it sounds, Kirk, I would say, I would listen to everything Viola puts out. Mm-hmm. Not because I want people to listen to everything I say, but because even if you only catch 10 minutes of a podcast I'm on, or five minutes of a lecture I've recorded somewhere, you know, even if you catch glimpses of it, the point is pharmacology doesn't come natural to all of us in dentistry. It's my specialty, so if I can give you any information at all that would help, even if it's in you know small portions, take what you can get. Because the more you listen and the more you absorb about pharmacology, the better equipped you'll be and the better able you'll be to, to protect your patient and yourself. And and you know I do serve as a as a uh, an expert witness in in some litigation, and this comes up a lot. You know, when people come to me and say, "Man, I wish I knew this. I would have asked you before. I would have." I would have reached out to you before, so find me. And, and right now, anybody who's listening, if you need some advice, if you need you know help with a patient who's really you know difficult as far as uh, complexity, medical complexity, find me. You can find me everywhere. TomViola.com is my website, so so shoot me an email from there. 
I'm on uh, all the social media sites under pharmacology declassified because that was my mission in life to make pharmacology absorbable for everyone, to declassify it, you know, demystify it so people can use it every day in practice. So find me online, find me on social media, send me a question. I'd love to help out. That's what I do because I love what you do every day. You know, you are all out there treating patients. I'm here to help you and to advise you in that, in that quest. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to encourage you guys, if you're not taking notes, don't worry, we're taking notes for you. So you can flip up to the show notes and you're going to see a link to uh, all of Viola's stuff. Please follow it. It's awesome because not only is it hugely educational, but you're actually really good at marketing, which is really, you're going to help me with my marketing. So you do a great job. I also want you to tell people you've got an incredible education series. You do a lot of webinars, a lot of master classes. Um, I'm going to encourage you guys to check that out because he is the best at doing this. You might not be able to see him in person all the time. And if you can't, virtually is an awesome, well, second place if I can't see you in person. So Viola, where do I go if I want to have my team take a, a good list of courses that you provide? How do I find that out? Yep. So live, you'll see me at all the major meetings. I'm at Chicago Midwinter this meeting, this coming up this month, uh, Hinman coming up next month, uh, Greater New York, and, and, and a bunch of different meetings that are that are regional, uh, Star to North and so on. So they're all on my website. Go check me out. You can find wherever I'm going to be. But at any time, I mean, if you need me, reach out to me on social media and say, hey, I got a question and post it up there. The reason I encourage it is because I know that if someone out there has a question, at least you know, 100 other people have that question as well. So put it up there and I'll answer them. And that way everybody gets a little better, a better education and becomes, a, again, pharmacology becomes a little less uh, mystifying. I love it. I love it. If you have a study club and you've kind of done everything there is to do, you haven't done pharmacology declassified. He is an awesome, awesome mix to your CE calendar. So I highly encourage you to have Tom out. Your team, your your entire study club will love it. So Tom, thanks for being on, brother. I appreciate you as always. I appreciate you, buddy. Everything you've done for me, everything you did during the pandemic. Let me tell you, this industry will never forget you, Kirk. You're a, you're a hero and we all appreciate you, buddy. Hey, Thanks. hey. Well, that's very kind of you. And it doesn't get you out of me interviewing you over and over and over again. So you're... You're locked in. So stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. We want to cover all things. We're going to cover fun things, exciting things, cool things in dentistry, and some of the difficult things you need to know about. That is our game here, is to find the best educators anywhere in dentistry and bring you the best information to help you create a better practice and a better life. So keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see in the show. You're going to see we've got tons and tons of great episodes lined up, and uh, we'll be putting them together for you guys. So until we hear from you next time, or you see, I don't know, hear, see from us next time. What am I saying? <laughs> it's one of those weeks where it just keeps going on and on and on. And... Uh, <laughs> We just enjoy you guys tuning in. Until we see you next time or hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information 
so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.